Just a quick message before the episode gets underway. The Aurora Renewables Summit London is returning on the afternoon of Wednesday the 26th of June. Book your ticket now to hear from leading experts in the energy industry as they assess the opportunities and challenges within the UK and the wider European renewable sector. You will also benefit from unparalleled networking opportunities. We look forward to seeing you there. In the old days of a deterministic operation of the system are well gone. The new reality of the electric system is one in which there is a high level of uncertainty and variability in the system. Solar and wind are not for granted, and as weather conditions change, the production of these resources is going to change quickly. And therefore, the system needs to be very well positioned to sustain that variability. Hello and welcome to Energy Unplugged by Aurora. This podcast features various experts from Aurora having in-depth conversations with key industry leaders, policymakers and academics from all over the world. It explores the hottest topics across the energy market and gives a unique perspective on major energy issues. Welcome to Energy Unplugged. I'm Hugo Batten, Managing Director of Aurora in Australia and California. We're very much looking forward to today's discussion. We have Dr. Guillermo Batista Alderetti in today. He's the Director of Markets and Analysis and Forecasting at Kaizo and has had a distinguished 15-year career at Kaizo, having coming out of academia at the University of Waterloo in Canada. We've also got Rowan von Spreckelson on the line. He's Aurora's Head of Research in both Australia and California as well. Guillermo, welcome to Energy Unplugged. Absolutely delighted you can join us. Thank you, Hugo, for the invitation. My pleasure to be here with you today. And welcome, Rowan, as well. Thank you, Hugo. Terrific. Guillermo, let's start with your career. What's kept you at California's system operator for 15 years? What do you enjoy about the role? Let me start by introducing first the Kai. So I think that was going to explain a lot the reason why I am still here in the Kai. So. The CAISO is the independent system operator for the electric system of California in the United States. And the CAISO has a very noble mission of keeping the lights on by maintaining a reliable operation of the electric grid and a transparent and accessible wholesale market. In my role, I oversee the areas of the market performance, market quality, market cost, short-term forecasting for demand and renewable resources. And this is a very good area to actually do your day-to-day job because it allows me to get the bigger picture of what a market is. I've been with the Kaiso for about 15 years and I can tell you it feels like it was just yesterday when I joined. Kaiso is such an organization with a very fast pace. There is always something going on in our system which really keeps me engaged and very motivated. The Kaiso mission and in general the mission for any ISO is such a powerful drive for us to work. And mostly in these current days with such evolving conditions and challenges that we have in operating the grid. Working at the Kaiso gives me a very unique opportunity to be at the front of tackling very new, brand new challenges. It's a place where the theory uh, in reality collides with with the practical implications. We need to find practical solutions to some of the most pressing and brand new challenges in operating the the electric grid. And for me, it's it's my ideal place to work. And I'm very happy for the last 15 years and 
I'm still equally excited to continue to work on evolving problems. While we're talking about Kaizo, I mean, as you know, Aurora operates in a lot of different markets. A lot of our listeners are, are European or, or, or Australian. And it seems like each market, the system operator, is taking on a slightly different role in the energy transition. Some are getting a little bit more interventionist and involving themselves you know, reasonably directly in policy discussions. Um, a, a number are creating now these long-term plans, the integrated system plan in Australia, the future energy scenarios in the UK, the integrated resource plan in California. Um, how, do you, how does Kaiser think about its role over the next five to 10 years and I suppose in the policy and market design space as, as much as anything else. Sure, yeah. Uh, although the ISOs may have a very similar mission and framework, I would say each ISO has to deal with very specific nuances of their own system. These are largely defined by how the ISO is going to run the business. It has to factor in the governance structure, the footprint it covers. It's not the same to run an ISO for a single state, state instead of a multiple state the type of stakeholders participating in the market and the structure of the neighboring balancing area, right? Because you have to do still balancing with other areas. Yeah. Uh, the CAISO for context is regulated by FERC, that is the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission that defines some guidelines and principles that we have to follow. But the state of California has also its own energy policies. And these are the policies that largely influence what we eventually have to transpire into how we manage and operate our systems and markets. The role of the CAISO under this profound transformation is of an enabler. We have to drive policy and design changes given the rapid paradigm of the electric sector. And at the same time, we have still to keep the core mission that is maintaining the reliability of the system and the market. We have a very robust design and policy process that go from the very concept to the actual implementation of the changes in our systems, in which stakeholders actively participate and influence the policy and the design of our changes. Mm. I would say in the last five years, we have adjusted our framework based on the condition of now in our markets, because we are providing balancing services to multiple balancing areas across the states of the Western of the US. For instance, there is now a governing body for the Western energy imbalance market that provides more level of governance for policy changes impacting the whole footprint of the real-time market. I can say that Kaiso has been at the front of pursuing policy changes to tackle the new challenges because of the very aggressive environmental policies that are coming on our system. In the very recent time, some ISOs in the US have been starting to see the same type of challenges that we started to tackle like 10 years ago. And again, that was mainly driven because of the energy policies of the state of California. Mm. In that sense, I believe we have to adapt and follow the pace of these energy policies coming eventually into the operation of the system. No, it's a great point. And, and I often hear people say that, you know, in some ways the, the pressure is higher in California because, you know, it is further ahead and, and we need to kind of prove that the energy transition can work um, and, and kind of act as a, a kind of, I suppose, guide rails or, or, or signposts for other markets as to how to get kind of high renewable penetration and, and manage balancing and all those types of things. Terrific. I mean, while we're 
talking about Kaizo and 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 the role it plays as a market. It it is um, it does have some complexity and in some ways is different to to kind of other jurisdictions. It has a capacity style mechanism, resource adequacy. There's a wholesale component. You know, various balancing ancillary markets. There's a carbon price, renewable energy certificates. There's a number of different kind of market certificates and incentive structures within Kaizo, while still having, in some parts of Kaizo, vertically integrated monopolies who are providing power to, to end consumers. Could you talk a little bit about how that's evolved over the last 15, 20 years? And what do you see as the kind of key inflection points in that journey that have got Kaizo to its current state? Sure, I think everything started with the energy crisis of late 90s, early 2000, right? I think uh, as early as 2005, 2007, we were in the middle of a major shift in moving into a full nodal market. Prior to that, we have just a type of regional zonal market. And that starting point was precisely because we were trying to come out of this energy crisis. And that was a high stakes proposition to make such a paradigm shift. Once the northern market was implemented in 2009, right away we started moving into getting the market stable and bringing more features and capabilities for flexibility and participation of the markets. And we started doing major improvements. For instance, we, we took at heart to ensure that we could provide precise and accurate dispatch instructions to resources. And that requires complex formulations in our markets. For instance, we have this feature that we call the multi-stage generator that allow us to model very precisely the combined cycle units that have some challenging operating conditions. Right then we also implemented the convergence bits. It's a market and we believe in markets and we move forward in opening the market for financial participation. And that implies participation of convergence bids or name in other places like virtual bids. Right then we were hitting the timeframe of 2014 and in collaboration with another entity that is the Pacific Corporation, we launched the Western Energy Balance Market. Since then, basically every year we have added more and more balancing areas to the real-time market. As of now, we have over 15 different balancing areas covering most of the western of the United States. And at the same time, we start to see this wave of renewable resources coming into the system, mm. uh, which has required us to be very creative in finding market solutions for these challenges of adding variable energy resources. This has resulted in multiple market enhancements all the way since 2016. And for instance, in 2016, we implemented what we call a flexible ramping product that is specifically designed to tackle the uncertainty and variability introduced by the operation of renewable resources. And as of now, that continues to be a challenge. That is still one uh, item that takes a lot of effort for us because uh, variability and uncertainty in the system continue to increase. And now with the... Uh, new technologies coming like storage resources, that requires us to pay more attention as to how we can fully utilize, fully maximize the attributes of these new technologies. And this is where we are spending mostly the, the effort in, in current days. You touched a little bit on the, the, the expansion of the Kaizo over, the, over time and, and the number of balancing markets that actually 
bid into it on a, a real-time basis. How do you see potential further expansion of Kaizo playing out? I think in models like Aurora's, you know, bigger, more diverse markets, you know, benefits of trade and diversification, you know, we, we tend to like it and models tend to like it. But in, the, in reality, there's, you know, typically politics around these decisions as well. Kaizo reports to the, the Californian uh, uh, legislature that has its own priorities. You know, other ge geographies ha have their priorities. Do you think we will see an expansion of Kaizo moving forward? And what do you expect to be the kind of impacts of that, I suppose? Yeah, this is a very interesting and timely question, Hugo. Uh, as part of the Western energy imbalance market, that is only a real-time market, we have been expanding that market since day one in 2014, and we're in the middle of onboarding four new entities this springtime. Uh, we have scaled a couple of more entities to join in 2023, and with that, effectively, we would have uh, all the potential entities participating in this uh, real-time energy market. The California SO is currently pursuing strategies to move more renewable energy into the electric system. And one of the solutions uh, in this suite of opportunities was to effectively expand the market. Because if you have plenty, let's say, solar generation in the middle of the day, instead of reducing, curtailing that energy, you can now transact that with multiple entities across the, the West and maximize the opportunity and the value for everybody. So one component of this suite of solution was effectively to expand the energy imbalance market. Now, this market has to maximize the utilization of the resources and we leverage on the geographical and resource mixing diversity. When Kaiso start to approach now in the wider context, the integration of other balancing areas, the natural question comes as to what's next. And that next item is effectively expanding the, the day ahead market. We have a notion of how this well-functioning market in the real time is playing these days. Just to give you a context, so far, since the inception of the Western energy imbalance market, the economical benefits have accrued in the order of $2 billion. That's a significant cost savings across all the participating entities. Currently, Kaiso is working with other balancing areas in the West to explore the creation of this extended day ahead market. The extended day ahead market will improve the market efficiency by integrating even more renewable resources by using all the possibilities and capabilities of the day ahead market. And that includes, for instance, unit commitment and scheduling across a wider footprint. Uh, with many entities involved and with potentially multiple interests, uh, there is a need for a solid and an extensive discussion of the design features because obviously every balancing area has its own nuances and implementation concerns. So it has to be a solution that is workable across the spectrum of EIM entities. Right now, uh, we're in the middle of that uh, discussion with different uh, entities, and we are very hopeful that this is going to be a solution moving forward where we can move into the expansion of the day ahead market. And just for listeners, do you have a sense or, or can you give our listeners a sense of the volume of power that's traded in the day ahead versus the real time in Kaizo? Because as you say, the shifter allowing broader participation in the day ahead is, oh, is yes. really what drives uh, you know, greater efficiency more so than the real time. 
Yeah, I would say the real-time market by its own definition is to throw up imbalances that happen in the real time. Yeah. So the volume of energy traded in the real time is inherently going to be very limited and yeah. it's going to be in the range of three, five percent. That means yeah. that over 90% of the energy transacted really takes place in the day ahead market. To pivot then a little bit, and, and again, you've touched on this in a couple of your answers. Could, could you talk about the mechanisms that Kaizo has introduced to help with the integration of renewables? So, you know, in term for our listeners' benefit, Kaizo is a long way ahead of the rest of the country in terms of renewable penetration, and it's got up to, I think, 95% instantaneous penetration of zero carbon resources last year. And I think that was around, you know, 59% uh, solar, 27% wind, and then other stuff, you know, geothermal and, and other technologies making up the remainder. Kaiser's also brought on a lot of batteries quite quickly, and, and we'll get to that. What are the, the big challenges as you see them? And what have you done? And I suppose, what are the plans over the next five years to, to help with that integration? And I think this has been an evolving and compounded uh, challenge. I would say the integration of renewable resources have been in, at least in two main areas. One is the operational concern, and obviously the other is the market concern. I'm sure the listeners are very familiar with the famous duck curve that Kaiso created over 10 years ago. That picture captures the essence of the operational challenge which is as more renewable penetration happens and lowers the midday value of the demand, this is going to result in oversupply conditions and the need to reduce generation or eventually curtail the clean energy provided by renewable resources. And as the solar fades away in the evening, the challenge becomes now the, the need to sustain a very steep ramp over a period of over three hours. A compounded challenge on all this is the uncertainty, and that is created by adding this new type of generation. The old days of a deterministic operation of the system are well gone. The new reality of the electric system is one in which there is a high level of uncertainty and variability in the system. Solar and wind are not for granted, and as weather conditions change, the production of these resources is going to change quickly. And therefore, the system needs to be very well positioned to sustain that variability. Over the years, we have adopted market solutions to tackle this uncertainty and variability. We have a new flexible ramping product to have that specific uncertainty. We have changed the way we assess the need for regulation depending on weather conditions. Uh, the regulation needs may be different if you have a sunny day versus a cloudy day. We continue to improve the estimates of the uncertainty. At the end, we are trying to project what the uncertainty is going to be. And naturally, the realized uncertainty may be different. But we want to ensure that we calculate the requirement in certain confidence band to ensure that we can hit uh, at least 95% of the time the uncertainty that realizes in the system. Another associated challenge is the increasing level of behind-the-mirror generation, mainly from rooftop solar generation. This is quite significant in California, and just to give you a sense, it's in the range of 10,000 megawatts. This behind-the-mirror impacts the demand level in the same way as utility-based generation. It just happens to be behind the mirror, and it's going to create a similar challenge in the operation of the system. All these challenges eventually realize in the operation of the system, 
And as such, we need to figure out ways to properly position the system to handle this new paradigm. And uh, I would say we have a suite of solutions and the most uh, pressing challenge that we are trying to address in current days is a good way to capture the uncertainty that realizes in the operation of the system. No, I completely agree. And we'll stay away from the net solar metering debate in California, which is one of the more heated debates I've come across in my time as an energy professional. And this is a debate that's playing out in a number of markets, like how do you think about subsidies and, and the value of rooftop solar given increasingly extreme uh, duck curves? But let's let's steer clear of that one. So, uh, Rowan, I might bring you in here. I know you've been meeting with 50 or 60 different participants in Kaizo over the last couple of months as we roll out our modeling there. Um, in particular, I heard a lot about offshore wind and hydrogen as new technologies um, with potential to make material impact on the Californian market. Do you want to offer a few reflections on each of those for, for listeners? Yeah, I think those are those are, those two are definitely the kind of the key new technologies that are kind of up and coming in in California specifically. I think the recent kind of targets laid out in in kind of California legislature on offshore wind, um, Kaizo's latest twenty year plan that's kind of targeting somewhere between three and kind of ten gigawatts by twenty forty, um, with an approximate kind of ten billion dollar worth of spend on the network whether that's coming in down in kind of Diablo Canyon and kind of replacing some of that power, whether it's up in the kind of Northwest um, off offshore, um, those kind of seem to be the, the kind of key areas. I know kind of Aurora's done a lot of work on offshore globally, kind of both with the UK government, with kind of state governments in Australia, kind of more broadly in, in Europe and, and kind of now in the US. I think the focus has always typically been in the US on the kind of the East Coast, um, but particularly with, Kind of system operators thinking about the diversification of technologies needed to manage net zero systems long term and kaizo coming out with that kind of in the 20-year plan a number of kind of participants are kind of increasingly looking at the west coast now thinking about how floating would stack up long term so offshore wind definitely a kind of a, a key one on the hydrogen side i think it, it's generally hard to see California necessarily being kind of the most competitive exporter of hydrogen kind of globally. Um, but there's a lot of interest in in terms of kind of the hard to abate industries where that gets where that gets used. I think from a integration perspective, there's often two business models that are talked about. You've either got a kind of hydrogen island model where you're kind of co-locating with solar wind batteries to develop and produce that hydrogen in an isolated system. The other option is kind of grid connected. Um, obviously, very different impacts in terms of kind of electricity prices long term, one feeding into demand, uh, the other being kind of isolated. I think from the economics perspective, the island model is, is often kind of pretty similar, potentially slightly kind of more attractive um, than the grid connected version. I think additionality is often a key concern there with the grid connected and needing to know that kind of green hydrogen is capable and, and kind of pricing that premium for green hydrogen. I think knowing the emissions of the grid at any point in time um, can mean that it technically wouldn't classify as, as green hydrogen in all time periods. But I think a lot of the conversations we've been having with market participants in California, often with the gas operators, has been thinking about hydrogen as a fuel source. And the, the conversation there is typically between 
kind of whether I'm taking existing gas, uh, CCGT or OCGT plants, and am I retrofitting CCS on them or potentially hydrogen? I think there are different crossovers depending on the utilization of those uh, plants with a high utilization, potentially CCS is, is the more economic with very low utilization factors long-term, maybe in the 2050s with a net zero scenario, hydrogen is potentially more economic. I think those have been where the kind of the key conversations have been. Terrific. Guillermo, maybe to pivot back to you here, we've seen a couple of recent auctions in California where uh, uh, load-serving entities, utilities, have put up contracts for eight-hour storage. Um, and in both the recent ones that, that we've been tracking, lithium-ion batteries have won. And I think that surprised some market ob observers, uh, but the cost reductions have been impressive over time. You know, again, as a grid operator, as you're thinking long-term around net zero scenarios, how are you thinking about competition between pumped hydro, potentially in kind of other parts of, of the, the Western market, hydrogen that Rowan touched on, flow batteries, like which options I suppose are you most optimistic about as dispatchable capacity in, in a genuinely net zero system? It is hard to do longer term projections with the rapid changes of technology that we see coming into the power systems. I believe diversity in technology is welcome to the system as different technologies with different attributes can provide more flexibility and agility to the operation of the system. In general, we aim at maximizing the attributes of each specific technology because we don't see this only to be a challenge, but also part of the solution when we have to resolve challenges. And let me give you an example. For instance, nowadays we see rapid integration of storage resources. Typically, they are four-hour storage resources. The previous challenge that we had, this is still a challenge, but it's being managed now with storage resources in a much better way, is that we have the typical oversupply condition because we have just too much generation of these renewable resources. Well, now with the integration of storage resources, it's becoming a natural solution to have the combination of these two different technologies. The storage resources are coming either as individual resources that can act as a, a demand or supply, depending on the conditions of the system. They are very well equipped to take on that oversupply conditions because it's the precise time when they can be charging. At the same time, you have this other type of technologies that are collocated or hybrid. It's a combination of storage resources with, high, uh, with wind or solar, and they can provide you a much efficient way to to manage themselves. Uh, what I'm saying is that as the new technology comes, we need to find a way to maximize their specific attributes. And having this diversity of technology is going to be only better for having that flexibility in the operation of the system. There are some technologies that, uh, given the system conditions, may not be as easy to, to bring up. And let me just put an example, for instance. Uh, Hydro or pump storage resources may not be a very practical solution for TISO, right? Because we're in the middle of a drought, we don't have too much hydro to, to, to spare. And that naturally couldn't be a, a, a natural solution for us in, in, the, in the medium or longer term. But all these other new technologies, such as storage, are just ripe now to, to be taken advantage of in the operation of the system. 
I might just echo Guillermo on that. We've, we've been doing some recent analysis on kind of a net zero scenario and what that kind of diversification means. And I, I completely agree. You do really need to see both the short and the long term uh, providing kind of different services. And it's very much a function of what is the capacity mix. So kind of, as Guillermo said, challenging as the as the capacity mix does change so quickly, you're almost optimizing for a changing solution because a particular penetration of, of renewables and combination of geothermal and hydro means that you want to procure slightly different technologies in the long term. But I think those that long-term storage, for example, being able to provide maybe six out six kind of gigawatts of long duration storage, whether it's through pumped hydro, through kind of gas, hydrogen, CCS, or or flow batteries, lithium, long duration lithium, um, for for kind of a week or two in low renewable output periods, coupled with that short duration battery or peaking capacity on top. Um, is, de- is, is, is definitely a kind of key part of that net zero challenge. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and I think for our international listeners, it's probably worth mentioning that because of the way capacity incentives are designed in Kaizo, we've seen a lot of four-hour batteries as a kind of minimum threshold to get resource adequacy contracts. And something like 2.4 gigawatts of new battery capacity was delivered last year in California. So really at the bleeding edge of the rollout, particularly of lithium-ion batteries. Rowan, I might just come back to you on that. What are we seeing in that four-hour battery space, putting aside over time that we may need to see longer-duration storage technologies? Like what's happening over the next year or two in, in that four-hour space? Yeah, I think like, like you say, so the, the four-hour space um, at the moment – a battery business case is is typically made up of kind of ancillary revenues, wholesale revenues, and and resource adequacy revenues, roughly in a split of it's fifty percent kind of ancillary, particularly while the market is is small, uh, maybe forty percent kind of resource adequacy payments, and and actually only kind of ten percent in the wholesale market. Obviously, different batteries will will differ, but as a generality. What we're seeing long term, and we've seen this globally in other markets, that as those ancillary markets saturate because they're relatively smaller than the wholesale markets, the expectation is that those revenue streams decline over over time, um, down to the opportunity cost of playing in the wholesale market, um, which means that although you've got maybe declining capex, you potentially need to see more value popping up in the resource adequacy markets. So kind of seeing potentially prices rise in in those markets long term to cover those procurement targets and we're already starting to see some of that in in kaizo in terms of seeing the kind of the reg up and reg down prices increasingly concentrated into a smaller number of hours each day um, with those premium intervals kind of directly corresponding to high and low energy prices so that you've got a higher kind of conflict i suppose between optimizing energy price spreads each day and capturing the best regulation prices. I think in, in the short term, one other thing we're seeing in the market is, is very much around the short-term supply cost issues. So battery manufacturers kind of mentioning that mm. think supply contracts are being indexed to lithium prices, among, among others, increases of kind of 15, 20% in, in cases, um, which is, in, and a number of developers have said this, this may well delay the kind of rollout of battery storage within states and their pipelines because they're kind of almost holding out for the kind of market to clear and to come back down over the next kind of 18 months, two years or so as as these global supply chains 
kind of come out of the out of the system. So that's kind of challenge in the short term. The long term, I think a lot of a lot of kind of conversations that we've had are thinking about uh, different markets long term. So we've already got those three that I mentioned, but do we see a place for batteries to provide inertia, to provide reactive power, actually in place of poles and wires um, for kind of the the, the grid? Uh, and what does that mean from a revenue perspective? I think that's that's often in a lot of markets we've seen that being a challenge to create a market around those because they are often so site specific. So it's often been bilateral contracts, but a number of of players looking at those and how can they provide those services, grid forming inverters, et cetera, uh, things like that. Yeah, Mo, I might come back to you here. So I think Rowan's touched on a few important points, particularly for battery economics, the saturation of ancillary markets, the fact that capacity contracts and intraday arbitrage matter or, or are likely to matter more. But I think also the additional complexity in thinking about the contribution to security of supply that the next marginal four-hour battery makes. And again, this concept of dunkel flouts and how do you manage extended, uh, whether it's solar or wind droughts, or in the case of California at the moment, in drought conditions, very low hydro uh, availability for extended periods of, of time. Do you think the resource adequacy capacity mechanism essentially needs to evolve and if, if so you know how is Kaizo uh, thinking about that uh, yeah that's a very good question uh, Hugo because uh, as the listeners may know uh, California ISO doesn't have a capacity market we rely on a program that is called resource adequacy and it's some type of bilateral based uh, program and that is run by the California Public Utility Commission. And we, the Kaiso, closely track the RA program. Uh, I would say years back, the basic premise of the program was to ensure that there was sufficient capacity to meet the picking condition. And what is your peak day? You need to ensure that you have at least 115% of that uh, projected uh, need. As the electric grid has evolved with integration of renewable resources, it has become obvious that the capacity is not the only factor or attribute to consider. Flexibility is also a key aspect. The current construct of the RA program relies on system and local capacity. And for the last few years, it also has added what we call the flexible resource adequacy capacity. As part of the KISO estimates, uh, the need for flexible ramp capacity uh, currently is in the range of 15,000 megawatts for a period of three hours. KISO is actively involved in the identification of needed changes to ensure we have the capacity that we need to maintain the reliable operation under this uh, shift of paradigm. I can say that there has been several iterations in the enhancements to the resource adequacy program and I foresee that that will continue as the grid evolves. We carefully look at the RA program to ensure that the KISO um, resource adequacy rules uh, remain relevant and give us the right procurement of the capacity where we need and when we need it, because also timing is becoming important for the time of, of, the, of the year. And uh, regarding the aspect of the of the value of the capacity market. Yes, we, we start to see that as Rowan indicated. We can see that the prices drop uh, when we have excess of renewable generation. We can see, for instance, the regulation market to be saturated by the storage resources. That is going to put, to put pressure in the, in the clearing prices of the energy market. 
And that will translate into having more value added to, to the capacity. And that is going to be a, a dynamic that going to continue to, to exist. The case in particular has been evolving the markets to ensure that the design is in place to ensure that resources are compensated on the services, on the attributes that they bring to the system. I might, on the content side, finish up uh, with with one question, conscious of uh, time. Um, Demand-side response is a very hot topic in a number of different markets. Uh, We've worked with Tesla on VPPs in Australia. I, I know we've done similar work with various players in Europe particularly in a market like California, where rooftop solar, despite some short-term challenges, is likely to be a major feature of the system, increasingly accompanied by batteries at the community level or or household level. Um, The idea that they can be aggregated and dispatched as as a virtual power plant. Again, how's Kaiser thinking about it, this? What are some of the challenges? How do you build VPPs into your uh, forecasts? and demand projections moving forward? Yeah, uh, I believe Kaiso has seen some success in the participation of demand response in our systems and markets. Uh, We have been working on designing the market mechanisms to allow the participation of demand response and resources for for several years. Effectively, we have like a, a recurrent initiative to improve the modeling and the participation of demand response resources in our system. We have spent that significant effort in the development of the design. Now, a good example, for instance, of how well the demand response has worked so far is take, for instance, the case of the summer 2021-2020. We have seen participation uh, in the range of 800, 900 megawatts of demand response. And just to put context, we have two types of demand response in our markets and system. One we call the proxy demand response. There are those resources economically participating in the market. Mm. When they get dispatched, it's expected that they are going to be responding to, to the signal. But we also have what we call the reliability demand response resources. These are similar to demand response with a caveat that they are going to be activated, deploy upon the case of going through an energy emergency. That is the reason they are called reliability demand response. And they are quite effective. I, I would say when we start seeing the deployment of those, we can really see the effect of that in the demand and naturally has helped to, to balance supply and demand in the tightest condition of, of the CAISO system. Mm. That is quite a significant contribution when we need it the most. There are some areas that we need to continue to improve and we continue to have that uh, design enhancement. And currently we are going through one of those. And that is really targeting to ensure that they have the flexibility, they have all the means to participate economically in our markets. Another area that is kind of after the fact that we have also to, to seek further improvements has to do with how to measure the response of demand response. That is not something Mm. for granted. And we have spent significant efforts to try to identify a good baseline to measure the response. And there is still room to to improve in that area. Great answer. I I suppose a final question, and I tend to ask this of all the guests we have on. Um, Is there anyone you read or listen to in the energy space 
that you think is always good, thought-provoking and relevant to your work in the system operator? Is, is there anyone that springs to mind, Guillermo? Oh, wow. I, I can tell you I really like to read uh, about what I do day-to-day, so mm. I may be biased to, to go too far. And I can tell you I'm always interested in, in a stay appraised of different dimensions, including those directly related to Kaizo but yeah. also on the other organized electrical markets that we have, at least in the United States. And I am also interested in what's going on in the energy sector as a whole. And also because of my previous life in the academia, I, I like to stay in touch in the theoretical academia level. So with that, I can tell you that I read from different sources. And related to California, I read the California Current, the California Energy Markets, about organized markets, I read uh, RTO Insider, Utility Dive, Energy Storage, SP Global Plats. I also like to read the uh, uh, reports generated by the International Energy Agency. And I still continue to read these uh, journals from the academia, such as the Electricity Journal, the IEEE Transactions on Power Systems and Renewables. So it's a lot, but it keeps me appraised of what's going on in different dimensions. That's terrific. That's an excellent reading list, although I, I might struggle to get through all of those in any given week, I suspect. Guillermo, Rowan, thanks both for your time. We've covered an enormous amount, I think, in, in 40 or 45 minutes. Guillermo, in particular, I know you're incredibly busy and we're very, very grateful uh, for your time. So thanks again to, to both of you. Terrific session. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Hugo. That was Hugo Batten, Aurora's Managing Director in Australia and California, talking to Guillermo Battista Alderetti, Director of Market Analysis and Forecasting at Kaizo, and Rowan von Spreckelsen, Aurora's Head of Research in Australia and California. Do keep an eye on our podcast feed for more in-depth conversations with senior members of the energy industry. The best way to do this is to subscribe on whatever platform you use. Thanks for listening and goodbye.